Um, I've been praying about what do we go into. I don't know. God is, he, he knows how he wants me to wrap this up. We may uh, dive into prayer just a little bit more, but this is war. Today is our final piece of the armor that um, we will cover. Even though that we are here this morning in the safe, comfortable, cushy, air-conditioned confines of this sanctuary, let me remind you, church, you and I are in a battle. We are in a battle. And Ephesians 6 tells us to look past the physical and to realize where the battle is. So if you will turn to Ephesians 6, perhaps for the last time in this series, we will read one more time where we've been in our last piece. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, it will not be on the screen, so if you don't have your word with you, then you can listen. Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10. I will wait for the rustling of the pages to stop, pretty much stop. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. As is the case in most sports, championships are won, lost and won, with the defense. Back when Ohio State won their national championships in 2002, and then recently in 2014, they were facing very high-powered, high, very prolific, uh, high-energy uh, offenses. Uh, they faced Miami Hurricanes, who were known for their incredible offense, and, and of course, uh, Oregon with uh, Mayorota and their offense. Yet, in each of those games, OSU's defense is what took the day. So there's no doubt that defense is very important. But what would a football team look like if there was no quarterback? If there was no running back, if there was no wide receiver, no offensive line, what would a team look like if all they had was a defense? Our final piece of armor today, the sword of the Spirit. The sword 
of the Spirit. Okay. I just had a, a, a spiritual epiphany hit me. Ryan Krylo got me really good last week, didn't he? Right? Yeah. I just got done. What, what, you know, what would a team look like if all they had defense and no offense? It'd look like the Cleveland Browns. That's what it would look like. Ha, 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 got you with that. <laughs> That's on tape, right, Brian? You got it. I knew I'd find a way to get back to him, right? Okay, back to the Word of God. <laughs> sort of the spirit. If you will notice in the Word of God, as we were reading through the different pieces of the armor, the belt, the belt just kind of holds things together. Um, the breastplate of righteousness, that's more defensive in nature. The, your feet shod with the gospel of peace, and you know, your feet have to be protected against, you know, you have to use that as defense. And, of course, the shield of faith, we know that that is a defensive piece of armor. And then the helmet, obviously that's defensive. But notice that the sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon that is listed here in the Word. Isn't that interesting? The only offensive weapon that is listed here in this passage. What's that tell us? It tells us, church, that you as an individual and that we as a church, we do not always need to take the defensive position. It tells us that sometimes we need to go on the offensive. We need to take the battle to the enemy. I appreciate so much what Ruth Watts has felt led to do in Conrad. And every Wednesday they're here at 7 o'clock praying for our nation. And, you know, I know we have Dream League, but if, if you're not going to Dream League, then come to prayer. Uh, she has chosen to take the uh, fight to the enemy. We can be victorious um, in this war that we are in. God wants us to be on the move, to be proactive in this fight. And also notice in this passage that this piece of armor is really the only piece that Paul really describes what it is. With the rest that he says it's the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet shod with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. But here, after Paul names the sword of the Spirit, he then goes on to tell us exactly what it is that he's talking about. It's as if Paul was saying, look, make sure you understand what I'm trying to say. If you don't get anything that I'm trying to say, make sure you know what the sword of the Spirit is. And the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Go ahead and advance it for me. Ryan, for some reason it's not working. It is the Word of God. Make no mistake about it. The Word of God is indeed a powerful weapon against the enemy. Now, when we think about a sword and we think about a Roman soldier, uh, of course, modern day movies really have a lot to play into this, but we think of that long three to four foot sword that they wield around and they have to have two hands just to grab a hold of it. Uh, that's what a lot of people think about, but I don't believe that's what the Apostle Paul had in mind whenever he gave this image of the sword of the Spirit. I think he, what he was thinking about more was, go ahead, Ryan, it's not working. He's thinking something like that. It's like an 18-inch dagger. 
All right, the sword of the spirit. It's about 18 inches long, had a double edge to it, and was extremely sharp. This weapon of a Roman soldier was compact. It was easy to use. They could get it out quickly and was fast and was mobile in a, a battle. Now, keep in mind that the battles back then were not like a lot of the battles of today. Today, uh, guns and missiles and bombs, they are all used. They're all shot from great distances away, from sometimes miles and miles away. There's not a lot of close hand-to-hand combat, but not in those days. In those days, whenever a Roman soldier was fighting, they were in close, personal, face-to-face, hand-to-hand combat. And they needed a weapon that was useful. They needed a weapon that they could get out quickly and use. Something that was mobile and quick and handy. One that was effective. And that kind of a weapon right there would do the trick. Church, this is exactly what we need to be with the Word of God. Amen? We need to have this kind of access. This is what God wants of you and me. As you know, life's battles, the enemy will oftentimes just get in our face. It is a face-to-face, hand-to-hand battle and fight that we have with the enemy. And we need to have a weapon that is handy, that is fast, that is mobile, that we can use quickly to defeat the enemy. What we need is the Word of God. The Word of God. Remember, we don't always have to just take defensive measures. When fear assails you, When anxiety berates you, when you feel like you're being beat down and beat down and beat down, we can take the fight to the enemy with an offensive weapon like the sword of the Spirit in order to come back against the enemy of our souls. You may remember in the movie War Room, if I had not shown this clip already, I would have shown it this morning. But you'll remember in our movie The War Room, when the wife Elizabeth, whenever she got that text from her friend that indicated that her husband very well was having dinner with another woman. See, the enemy got face to face with her. It was, it, was, it was hand-to-hand combat right then and there. She was in her closet trying to pray and she got that text. And the enemy brought the battle to her. Do you remember what she did? She sunk to her knees and she began to look on her wall with all the scripture verses that were listed on the wall. And she looked at those verses and she saw the verses that said, Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. And she just kept repeating that and repeating that. And then what did she do? She got up from her closet, from her position, and she went through her house. She went downstairs and she took the battle to the enemy through the word of God. She was able to go on the offensive, not in her own power, but by the power of the word of God. Do you see how she did that? She took the battle to the enemy. And what did he do? He had to flee. 
See, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I believe the Apostle Paul is trying to get us to realize is that we're, we're in a battle, folks. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against uh, the, the carnal flesh. It's against spiritual forces. It's in the heavenly realms. And the only way that we can win it is through the Word of God and through prayer. It's the only way. That's what we need to be doing in this life. That's what the Apostle Paul was trying to communicate. Make the Word of God a part of your daily life. Use it to defeat the enemy in your life. Make up prayer cards. We've done this in our home. If you go in our bedroom, there's cards on the wall. Uh, in our bathroom, there's prayer cards to the, to the left of our mirror. Make up prayer cards. Put them wherever you're at. Take them to, put them in your car. Put them at your place of work. Find different ways to surround yourself with God's Word. Pray through the Scriptures. I sometimes have found a Scripture that's really powerful, and I'll just stop and I'll just pray through it. I'll just take that passage, one verse, and I'll just pray it out. Maybe take a passage that speaks to you and write it out in a way that applies to your situation. Paul said several times here in Ephesians 6 that we are to stand fast. A lot of times in those battles uh, uh, with the gladiators back in the, uh, the ancient days, uh, it was the last man standing one. Whoever was standing last would win. Folks, we can stand if we stand on the Word of God. Amen? The last one standing, we can do it. We can stand on the Word of God. It's how we live out this next verse. We talked about this in the last week or so. For the weapons of our warfare are not, not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. How do we do that? What's one of our weapons that we can use? One of the weapons is the Word of God. It's how we can defeat the enemy. It's how we overcome the temptations in our life. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Go there with me. We see a great example of this and none other than Jesus Christ. Than Jesus Christ. Now it just worked. Go figure, huh? All right. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. Now just stop there for a second. Notice that Satan did not tempt Jesus when he first went into the wilderness. What does it tell us? He waited until after Jesus had fasted 40 days. He waited until, G until Jesus was hungry, until Jesus was weak, until He was tired. He waited until Jesus in the flesh was vulnerable. Then He tempted Jesus. Folks, this is what the enemy does to our soul. 
He will wait until we are physically, emotionally, spiritually drained and tired. He waits until we are weak. He waits until we are vulnerable and then he will attack us. But notice how Jesus defeated the enemy, starting with verse 3, chapter 4, verse 3. It won't be on the screen, but verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God... Command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Church, Jesus defeated Satan by using the word of God, by using the sword of the Spirit. And if the word of God was powerful enough for our Lord Jesus to use, it will be powerful enough for you and I to use when we need it most in the hand-to-hand, face-to-face combats of life. Hmm. Yeah. Yesterday we were out of town just for the day, and and, um, we were having some devos in the the car, and I was kind of going through these scripture verses, and and Jenna said, you know, Dad, I I guess that's why we need to know our word, right? (laughs) That's why we need to get into the word. That's why you need to know your word. That's why you've heard me harp and you've heard others harp for as long as you can tell. I mean, every day you need to get in your word. Get into your word because you never know when the battle's going to come. You never know when the enemy is going to hit you and you need to be in the word. Be in the word. The word of God, three meanings or potential possible meanings to the phrase the word of God. I want us to look at that here briefly. There is a Greek word called graphe. It is the literal words on the page. Is this what Paul meant in Ephesians 6? He said the word of God or the sword of the spirit, the word. What exactly? Was it this graphe? What is that exactly? Graphe is the literal words on the page. It's the ink. It's the paper that you see. It's, it's the physical book that... Many of you are holding in your hands and in your lap right now. Or some of you, it's the LED screen that you're looking at right now. Uh, Your electronic device or maybe uh, on your phone. But uh, it is those physical words that you can kind of touch and feel and see. No doubt about it, the graphe, the the physical, what you see is is extremely important. Many, many people have, have risked their lives transporting the graphe over into countries that do not have a Bible. Extremely important. 
Don't underestimate the power of that, but I don't believe that's what Paul was talking about here in Ephesians. Maybe he was talking about the logos, the message of the graphe. Logos is a word that also stands for word. Um, and it's a little bit more abstract to understand, but it, it means the word, the logos. It also, the word of God, it means the wisdom and the reasoning of God that has always existed from the beginning of time. Listen, before God created anything, Genesis 1 tells us, in the beginning, God. Before He created a word, before He created anything at all, there was the logos of God. There is the wisdom of God. It existed. That's what logos means. It's, a, it's another meaning for the word, uh, word. It's another meaning for wisdom and for reasoning. The logos of God, the wisdom of God, helped create the world. And to show equality with God, John 1.1 says that that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Or else we could also say, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was God, and was with God. It's the Word of God, the all-divine wisdom and Logos of God that brings the will of God to the minds and the hearts of men and women such that it will draw men and women back to God Himself. What a wonderful, neat picture of the Word of God. But even this, I don't believe, is what God had in mind. If you will look at the Greek translation for Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, when it says the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the word that is used to translate that is this, the rhema of God. What does that mean? It means the utterance of God. What does that mean? It's the spoken word of God into the life of individuals. It's that time when God's word speaks into the very essence of your being. When God's word becomes so real that it not only changes you, but it then becomes a weapon for you in your hands. You see, when God reveals Himself, when He utters Himself to you, it becomes an epiphany, it becomes a light that goes off in your heart, and all of a sudden that which is revealed to you through His Word now becomes a weapon in your hands that you can use to defeat the enemy. It's... Something similar to, uh, have you ever had one of those times when you're listening to a sermon, you're listening to an evangelist or a pastor, and, and you think he's talking directly to you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, you, you could, you're thinking, has this person been living in my house and eating my food and listening to my conversations? It's almost as if they know exactly what I'm going through. That's kind of the rhema of God. It's always fun whenever I have people come up to me and say things like that. So it's like, you know, you spoke exactly what is going on in my life. How did you know that? If that happens, it's not me, folks. It's the rhema of God. It's God uttering His words of wisdom to you. 
It's when God utters his very words and it becomes real and it becomes personal to you. This is, this is what Paul is talking about. Let the word of God become so real that it becomes a weapon that you can use to defeat the enemy. Well, how is it going to become that? By reading it. By getting it rebound sometime in the near future when the pages are just falling out. By absorbing it. That's how it becomes real to you. By taking your time and allowing it to come into your pores, your spiritual pores, your being. It happens whenever you read a verse and you stop and you're like, wow, God, I can't get past this verse because you are uttering yourself to me. Have you had those times? Those times. I'll give you a little bit of a side note. I've often used the Bible on my phone or on my iPad, um, but just me personally, I do not believe that, that that should be the sole vehicle, sole use of what we use. Um, like, like that 18-inch dagger you know, for a Roman soldier, I, I believe, I, I, just, I feel we need to touch it. We just need to hold it. We need to feel it. Am I talking to an older generation here? I know some of you are just kind of shaking your head with me. It's just something that, because that which you, that's, that, that which you can touch and feel, change your life. Now, you know, uh, you have to, well, no, because the Word of God can penetrate. You know, but the Bible is meant to write in. It's meant to take notes in. It should be the most marked up, written in book you've ever had in your life. Because it's God's word to you. This, this book here should have rhema moments all throughout it. Should have moments to where God is speaking to you and is uttering to you. Should have rhema moments recorded all throughout of it. Just like a soldier's sword and dagger can be a powerful weapon. So too is the Word of God. But one must believe. You must believe in this book. Because if you don't believe in what it's telling you, then it does not become a weapon. It will mean nothing to you. Jesus said in John 5.24, He who heareth my words and believes in him who sent me. We know that this is all about belief. You must believe it. It will do no good if the reader does not believe the words, does not believe the graphe that is in front of them. They do not believe that they indeed are the very words, the very thoughts of God. Last couple of weeks I've been telling you about the story of Billy Graham and the journey that he was on and the, the crisis of faith that he had in his life, a lot of that brought on by Charles Templeton. But one of the things that helped Billy Graham the most, as he and, and if you didn't, if you weren't here, then get the recording of it, get a CD or download it or whatever Brian does to it. Um, but one of the things that saved him is when he was up in the mountains of the San Bernardino Mountains and really having this crisis of faith was there at the, at the tree stump and was really grappling with his faith. One of the things he held on to the most is he believed that the Word of God was indeed the Word of God. He believed it. 
You see, he said he noticed that there was a difference in the years that he had been preaching, the years that he was with Charles Templeton, that was in, and this was in 1949. He believed that there was a difference whenever he just gave his opinion about something versus saying, the Bible says this. The Bible says that. He said, whenever I quoted from the Bible, there was a distinct difference. There was a power that went forth, a power that was able to change hearts and lives, a power that brought people for the years to come, thousands and thousands and thousands to the front of the auditorium in his crusades. You see, there is, there is a, there's, a, there's a power here. And that was one of the things that he held on. He knew he couldn't get away from that. He saw what happened. When he quoted from the Bible, there was a power that went forth that he did not have of his own accord. We know that this word is alive. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive. It is powerful. Notice the correlation now with Ephesians 6. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit. Between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and our desires. Folks, it's living. It's living. An example of this is seen in, you don't have to turn there, but seen in Acts chapter 2. Keep in mind that Jesus has ascended. He has told the disciples to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the promise that was given, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Up until this point, Peter was like this. He was up and down. He had no victory. He had no power. He was weak. He was uh, um, unpredictable temperamental, um, a coward at times, turned from his Lord. The last big scene he had, I guess, was when he denied the Lord. Of course, Jesus accepted him back. And here at the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in his fullness. And I may have said this, I'm not sure, but um, I'll just say this again. The disciples did not want Jesus to go away. Of course, they did not want him to leave. They had no idea what the Holy Spirit, who it was, and what his job was. They just, they just knew they did not want Jesus in the flesh to go away. But I'm so glad that Jesus went away because Jesus in the flesh could only be at one place at a time. Okay? He could not be everywhere at one time. Where he was, that's where he was at. But the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came, he could be in all places at all times. Isn't that wonderful? All places at all times. And I totally lost my place. Oh, all right, here we go. Back to Acts. So here's Peter and the the disciples, and they just got filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with power. And Peter gets up, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he begins to preach a message. What is coming out of his mouth is the rhema of God, because it's in the Scriptures. God was inspiring him. What he was speaking was coming straight from God. And we knew it wasn't himself because he was denouncing the very people that crucified Jesus Christ. He said, those of you who crucified this Lord Jesus, the Son of God, 
He was putting them on the spot. And then several times in his mini-sermon, he quoted from the book of Joel. He quoted from the passages. He quoted from the Word of God. It was all inspired. And what ended up happening in Acts chapter 2, verse, or Hebrews 4.12 was fulfilled here whenever they said, Now when they heard this, Acts 2.37, 2, they were cut to the heart. See, that's, that's the sword of the spear. They were cut See, it's just reference to what Hebrews 4, sharper than any two-edged sword. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Maybe I'm just refreshing your knowledge that this, this really is powerful stuff. The Word of God, it is a sword of the Spirit. And notice that the Word of God in Ephesians was called the sword of the Spirit. It's not the sword of Stephanie or the sword of Sean, or it's not the sword of Reuben. It's the sword of the Spirit. And it's called this for a reason. The Word of God only becomes alive, it only becomes a powerful weapon when the one using it believes in what it says, when they are in the control of God and when they are living in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's when it becomes a weapon. When it, we believe what it says, when we are living in the control of God and we are living in the obedience of the Holy Spirit. If you're not living in the obedience of Jesus Christ, there is no power of this in your life. It's, it's useless. You can get it out, but it, it, it'll have power. Only when you humble yourself, only when you and I become soft and moldable and pliable in the hands of the Holy Spirit. When this happens, then the Holy Spirit comes alive through the Word and through the one reading it. The Holy Spirit he will teach, He will convict, He will comfort, He will transform, but only when you and I will humble ourselves before God. Last verse. Zechariah, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. I'm done. Mandy, come on up. Church, the sword of the spirit. The word of God. I'm talking to myself as well. Everything I preach to you, I preach to myself first. And sometimes I step on my own toes. Sometimes I don't like what I have to say to you. (laughs) Because I've said it to myself. But also notice that in Ephesians, it says take up the whole armor of God. This is something that Jenna, Jenna pointed out to me yesterday in the car. She said, Dad, it says that we are to use the whole armor of God. It's kind of like this. Think about it. If, uh, if we walk out of our house with not all of our clothes on, just got a mental picture there, don't we? We're, we're, we're not going to be complete. We're not going to be whole. If, if a soldier walks into battle with various portions of that armor not intact, He's going to be vulnerable. He will be vulnerable. 
Put on the whole armor of God, everything, every single day of our life. Then we can be victorious. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord. God, really the only offensive weapon that is listed. And Lord, it's the only weapon that we need. Now, we know that prayer plays a part in all this, but God, it's a sword. It's a weapon that you have given us. You want us, God, there are times, and Lord, probably every day of our life, you want us to be on the offensive. You don't want us just to wait until the enemy attacks us, but Father, you want us to stand strong. Your word just told us more than once to stand, and above all, to stand. Lord, we want to be found faithful when you return. We want to be found standing when you return, Jesus. We want to be found clothed in the complete armor of the living God. Help us to do that today, God. Help us to just take all these pieces, Lord, the belt of truth, your truth, the breastplate of righteousness, Lord, our feet shod with the preparation of gospel. Lord, we need to take up our shield of faith. Lord, it's all about faith, isn't it? Put on the helmet of salvation, God, and to take up the sword of the Spirit and to be mighty warriors in the army of the living God. Thank you, Lord, that you don't want us just to cower and to be weak, pathetic soldiers. Lord, that's not a soldier. You want us to be strong in you. Help us to do that, Lord. Lord, if there's someone here today that feels beat up, they feel like all they've done is just defend themselves, defend themselves, defend themselves. At some point in time, may we be like the wife and the man. We stand up and say, I'm going to stand on the word of God. I'm going to stand on his promise. I'm going to take the battle to the enemy. I'm not going to take it any longer. For it is not in my by the Spirit, say the Lord. Be the people today. Lord, if you're someone here today, to once again put the word of God at the forefront, their life. May they do that. Battle to the enemy. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please?